Chapter Twenty Three of the Precipice. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Precipice by Elia Wilkinson Peattie. Chapter Twenty Three. As she heard Ray coming up the stairs, she tossed some more wood on the fire and lighted the candles in her Russian candlesticks. It's what a silly girl would do, she admitted to herself disgustedly. Well, there was his rap on the foolish imitation Warwick knocker. Kate flung wide the door. He stood in the dim light of the hall, hesitating, it would seem, to enter upon the evening's drama. Tall, graceful as always, with a magnetic force behind his languor, he impressed Kate as a man whom few women would be able to resist, whom indeed it was a sort of folly, perhaps even an impiety, to cast out of one's life. Kate, he said, Kate. The whole challenge of love was in the accent. But she held him off with the first move of opposition she could devise. My name, she admitted gaily. I used to think I didn't like it, but I do. He came in and swung to the door behind him, flinging his coat and hat upon a chair. Do you mean you like to hear me say it? he demanded. He stood by the fire, which had begun to leap and crackle, drawing off his gloves with a decisive gesture. She saw that she was not going to be able to put him off. The hour had struck, so she faced him bravely. "'Sit down, Ray,' she said. He looked at her a moment as if measuring the value of this courtesy. "'Thank you,' he said, almost resentfully, as he sank into the chair she placed for him. So they sat together before the fire gravely, like old married people as Kate could not help noticing. Yet they were combatants, not as a married couple might have been, furtively and miserably, but with a frank, almost an exhilarating sense of equally matched strength, and of their chance to conduct their struggle in the open. "'It's come to this, Kate,' he said at length. "'Either I must have your promise, or I stay away entirely.' "'I don't believe you need to do either,' she retorted, with the exasperating manner of an elder sister. It's an obsession with you, that's all. What man thinks he needs, he does need, Ray responded sententiously. It appears to me that without you I shall be a lost man. I mean precisely what I said. You wouldn't like me to give out that fact in an hysterical manner, and I don't see that I need to. I make the statement as I would make any other, and I expect to be believed because I'm a truth-telling person. The fairest scene in the world or the most interesting circumstance becomes meaningless to me if you are not included in it. It isn't alone that you are my sweetheart, the lady of my dreams. It's much more than that. Sometimes when I'm with you, I feel like a boy with his mother, safe from all the dreadful things that might happen to a child. Sometimes you seem like a sister, so really kind and so outwardly provoking. Often you are my comrade, and we are completely congenial, neuter entities. The thing is, we have a satisfaction when we are together that we never could apart. There it is, Kate, the fact we can't get around. We're happier together than we are apart. He seemed to hold the theory up in the air as if it were a shining jewel, and to expect her to look at it till it dazzled her. But her voice was dull as she said, I know, Ray. I know, now, 
but shall we stay so why shouldn't we woman there's every reason to suppose that we'd grow happier we want each other more than that we need each other with me it's such a deep need that it reaches to the very roots of my being it's my groundwork my foundation stone i don't know how to put it to make you realize he caught a quizzical smile on her face and after a moment of bewilderment he leaped from the chair and came toward her god he half breathed why do i waste time talking he had done what her look challenged him to do had substituted action for words yet now as he stretched out his arms to her she held him off fearful that she would find herself weeping on his breast it would be sweet to do it like getting home after a long voyage but dizzily with a stark clinging to a rock of integrity in herself she fought him off more with her militant spirit than with her outspread protesting hands no no she cried don't hypnotize me ray leave me my judgment leave me my reason if it's a partnership we're to enter into i ought to know the terms the terms kate why i'll love you as long as i live i'll treasure you as the most precious thing in all the world and the winds of heaven shall not be allowed to visit my cheek too roughly she managed to say tantalizingly he paused perplexed i know i bewilder you dear man she said but this is the point i don't want to be protected i mean i don't want to be made dependent i don't want my interpretations of life at second hand i object to having life filter through anybody else to me i want it you see on my own account why kate it wasn't precisely a protest he seemed rather to reproach her for hindering the onward sweep of their happiness for opposing him with her ideas when they might together have attained a beautiful emotional climax i couldn't stand it she went on lifting her eyes to his to be given permission to do this that and the other thing or to be put on an allowance or made to ask a favor he sank down in his chair and folded across his breast the arms whose embrace she had not claimed you seem to mean he said that you don't want to be a wife you prefer your independence to love i want both kate declared rising and standing before him i want the most gorgeous and abounding love woman ever had i want so much of it that it never could be computed or measured so much it will lift me up above anything that i now am or that i know and make me stronger and freer and braver well that's what your love would do for me broke in mccrae that's what the love of a good woman is expected to do for a man of course cried kate but is that what the love of a good man is expected to do for a woman or is it expected to reconcile her to obscurity to the dimming of her personality and to the endless petty sacrifices that ought to shame her and don't those immoral sacrifices about which she has contrived to throw so many deceiving iridescent mists of religion oh yes we are hypnotized into our foolish state of dependence easily enough i know that the mating instinct drugs us i suppose the unborn generations reach out their shadowy multitudinous hands and drag us to our destiny 
"'What a woman you are! How you put things!' He tried but failed to keep the offended look from his face, and Kate knew perfectly well how hard he was striving not to think her indelicate. But she went on regardlessly. "'You think that's the very thing I ought to want to be my destiny. Well, perhaps I do. I want children. Of course I want them.' She stopped for a moment, because she saw him flushing with embarrassment but she couldn't apologize in any way an apology would avail nothing if he thought her unwomanly because she talked about her woman's life the very life to which he was inviting her nothing she could say would change his mind it wasn't a case for argument she walked over to the fire and warmed her nervous hands at it i'm sorry ray she said finally sorry sorry that i'm not the tender trusting maiden creature who could fall trembling in your arms and love you forever no matter what you did and lie to you and for you the way good wives do but i'm not and oh i wish i were or else yes kate what or else that you were the kind of a man i need the mate i'm looking for but kate i protest that i am i love you isn't that enough I'm not worthy of you, maybe. Yet if trying to earn you by being loyal makes me worthy, then I am. Don't say no to me, Kate. It will shatter me like an earthquake. And I believe you'll regret it. We can make each other happy. I feel it. I'd stake my life on it. Wait. He arose and paced the floor back and forth. Do you remember the lines of Tennyson's Princess? where the prince pleads with Ida. I thought I could repeat them, but I'm afraid I'll mar them. I don't want to do that. They're too applicable to my case. He knew where she kept her Tennyson, and he found the volume in the page, and when he had handed the book to her, he snatched his coat and hat. I'm coming for my answer a week from tonight, he said. For God's sake, girl, don't make a mistake. Life's so short that it ought to be happy. At best, I'll only be able to live with you a few decades, and I'd like it to be centuries. He had not meant to do it, she could see, but suddenly he came to her, and leaning above her burned his kisses upon her eyes. Then he flung himself out of the room, and by the light of her guttering candles she read, Come down, O maid, from yonder mountain height. What pleasure lives in height, the shepherd sang in height and cold the splendor of the hills but cease to move so near the heavens and cease to glide a sunbeam by the blasted pine to sit a star upon the sparkling spire and come for love is of the valley come thou down and find him by the happy threshold he or hand in hand with plenty in the maze or red with spirited purple of the vats or fox-like in the vine nor cares to walk with death and mourning on the silver horns nor wilt thou spare him in the white ravine nor find him dropped upon the firths of ice that huddling slant in furrow cloven falls to roll the torrent out of dusky doors but follow let the torrent dance thee down to find him in the valley let the wild lean-headed eagles yelp alone and leave the monstrous ledges there 
to slope and spill their thousand wreaths of dangling water smoke that like a broken purpose waste in air so waste not thou but come for all the veils await thee as your pillars of the hearth arise to thee the children call and i thy shepherd pipe and sweet is every sound sweeter thy voice but every sound is sweet myriads of rivulets hurrying through the lawn the moan of doves in immemorial elms and murmuring of innumerable bees she read it twice soothed by its vague loveliness she could hear however only the sound of the suburban trains crashing by in the distance and the honking of the machines on the places none of these spirit sounds of which ray had dreamed penetrated through her vigorous materialism but still she knew that she was lonely she knew ray's going left a gray vacancy i can't think it out she said at last i'll go to sleep perhaps there but neither voices nor visions came to her in sleep she awoke the next morning as unillumined as when she went to her bed and as she dressed and thought of the full day before her she was indefinably glad that she was under no obligation to consult any one about her program either of work or play End of chapter 23